Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. And now we're going to read our scripture. If you're able to stand, um, please stand for the reading of God's word. Mine's the same as yours. Yeah, okay. It's Psalm 147, verses 7 and 10. 7 through 10. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our heart. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives the beasts their food and the young ravens that cry. And to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes, the pleasure, takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those whose hope, who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bar of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He, will fill, he fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends, you out, sends out his commands to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. At this time, I'll invite Michael, our deacon of worship, up, and let's pray for him as we begin our message this morning. Dear Lord, we we thank you for this morning. We thank you for just the opportunity, Lord, to meet together, to hear your word. Lord, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts, recalibrate us towards you, Lord. We need that daily and weekly, Lord. Um, We just pray that you would speak through Michael, give him your words to speak and minister to us this week. And we just pray that we would have open hearts to hear what you would have us hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, <coughs> preaching is always uh, a gift. It's, it's not always anticipated with excitement, um, especially on weeks like this, that it's, you know, there's been some audibles called, there's been some weird things that have happened, there's been some hard things that have happened, but um, I trust this morning that this is where God would have me <laughs> and would have us. Uh, when you were a kid, did you ever just kind of sit around, and, and, and maybe if you didn't grow up in the church, I grew up very inundated in the church, so this was like a regular conversation when I was really young, was just like dreaming about what heaven was going to be like, you know? Um, I think, I, I, would, I remember sitting around with my mom and my dad, sometimes my sister, and we had really sound theology uh, revolving around like my cloud jet ski. Um, <laughs> Like, I just knew that that's, like, obviously when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to, like, the jet ski will hop from cloud to cloud. And, of course, we can fly. You know, I'm sure that's part of it, too. Just kind of supermaning around space. Um, But as kids, we had vivid imaginations. Our little minds were filled with wonder and awe, especially around the Advent season. But we kind of grow up, and we grow out of that, right? 
maybe some of us don't grow out of it. We just learn how to like regulate it so we look like normal human beings. Um, I mean, I still like to play Legos and, and maybe give them voices when nobody's around. Um, but imagining what heaven would be like. When I was a kid, I think my theology could probably be summed up in like bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. So I got to be a, a Christian so that I can go to heaven one day. And that was it. But as I've grown up and, and been blessed to, to learn under people smarter than me, and I, God gave me a hunger for the word, that has expanded, and I've learned that it's a lot more than that. It's better than that. And so from an imagination that was inspired by cartoons and superheroes, now as an adult, my imagination is sparked by C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and, and things like that. And I'm pretty proud of myself. I, don't, I didn't put whole chapters of either of those authors in this text today. But the title of my message this morning is No More Desolate Places. And, and we read Psalm 147, and it doesn't feel very Christmassy. It doesn't feel like an Advent psalm. But we see in this psalm the posture of the psalmist is responding to who God is and all he has done. And my hope this morning is that we are stirred, that, that our gospel imagination would be reignited. If God is who he says he is, then we know that we have great hope. And maybe we've lost the sense of wonder and awe that we had maybe when we were first saved. This is our big idea this morning. Our hope of glory is greater than we can imagine. This kind of hope is more than just one day after we die. We read in the Gospels, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Our hope of glory starts today. It's a, it's a hope that matters now. It's a hope that we can realize and live in today. So we'll jump right into our first point. The first area that we see this, all creation made new. So the title of our Advent series is Beautiful Savior, King of Creation. And it's been on my mind all week as I was trying to, you know, find motivation to prepare. Um, doing work like this, I don't know, me, I, I like need to tap into some sort of motivation. And when I'm thinking about creation and I'm thinking about new heavens, new earth and hope, and then I look outside, how can I <laughs> preach a sermon titled No More Desolate Places and look outside to a wet, cold, dreary, desolate outside? It looks like the ghost of Christmas future out there, like from every Scrooge movie out there. But then it hit me that this is the exact sort of buildup that God would put together for Advent. That a weary world would rejoice. This Advent season celebrates what theologians have called the already not yet. It's a time of hoping for a promise that has been fulfilled, is currently being fulfilled in his people, and one day will be fulfilled ultimately by Christ. 
Advent sparks defiant joy in the hearts of God's children. We're going to see that in our passage today. We're going to, it's, it's rampant throughout the Advent season that rejoicing in who God is and what he has done, it doesn't ignore the brokenness and desolation all around. In fact, I would submit to you today that the truth of the gospel is the only way to fully understand why the world is the way it is, not only to understand the desolation that we see around us, but to have any glimpse of hope. What do I mean exactly by this? Well, we have to broaden our thinking. You see, many of us make sin small, heaven smaller, and we try our best not to think or talk about hell. We have lost our gospel imagination, as it were. We think far too narrowly about the scope of the curse and the effect of sin in the world. Let me just pause right here and ask, do you minimize sin? Do you kind of ponder around and think, well, I'm not that bad. Here's a few ways you can tell if you minimize sin. If someone in your life tries to point out an area of blindness that you might have, are you defensive? The thing about being blind to sin, guys, is you can't see it. That's why God puts us in community. When you feel conviction of sin, do you, do you find comfort in Christ? Or do you find comfort in comparing yourself to others, saying, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as bad as I used to be. I could be worse. When you confess sin to a brother or sister, how much preliminary defense do you put out in front of you before you actually confess your sin? You know, like, hey, man, I just had a really rough week. Things were crazy. You know, just one thing led to another, and here's the sin. And, you know, I just, uh, this guy cut me off in traffic. We're trying to, like, justify before we confess. Do you confess your sin at all? It's been said, and I'll say it again, if you don't confess regularly to brothers and sisters in Christ, what makes you confident that you are actually confessing to the holy God of the universe? So too often, we treat the curse of sin like these little moments in our life, like uh, this is just a, a moment where I messed up, rather than understanding that the curse of sin has run rampant all over the earth. You don't just sin sometimes, you are bent toward it. It's, it's your inclination apart from Christ. All right, so now that we feel cheery and hopeful for Advent, um, I said something about overcoming, right? Well, where we find hope in this is that when your eyes are opened to the reality that we live in a cursed, broken world, something opens up, and that is that death is not natural. It's not just part of life. It is the result of the curse of sin. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So not only do we need to repent of minimizing sin, thinking too small of it, but if, if that's true, what's more is that we minimize even more so the free gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There was a show a while back 
on ABC called Once Upon a Time. And, and the premise of the show is that these people are in the normal world, but they have names like Prince Charming and Snow White. And the fantasy world, you know, from the stories that we've heard, that's actually the real world. And so this is a cursed world. Not to crush anyone's dreams, but it is a fiction. <laughs> Those characters are not real, but the idea really struck me And it's much closer to our reality than I think we understand. So much of what we have accepted as normal is not what it was meant to be. Our hope of glory is greater than we can imagine. We have accepted far too long the mundane, the the monotonous, everyday droll of like, well, this is just how life is. Are we hopeful? Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Guys, the, the very ground that we walk on will be made new. In recent years, really in recent months, technology has advanced. The, the, the amount of pictures that we've seen of the universe and how vast it is, it's incredible. It's beautiful. It's going to be brand new. He owns all of that real estate, and he's going to let it pass away, and he's going to bring new, perfect atrophy no more, death no more in all of creation. Dreary days will only ever be beautiful. Seasonal affective disorder won't even be a memory. No more natural disasters, no more disasters. We will walk the new earth and we will sing our Advent song. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Look at verse 7 of our passage today. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. I don't know how to pronounce that one. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He, He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and the young ravens that cry. Remember, the the psalmist writes these words in a cursed world context. But this song of Jesus, this perfect psalm, Advent song, that God, it says God has done this, God does this, and he will yet do it again in perfection. He gives and sustains all of life. He is God. The, The rain that we got all week, even into today, it's part of his provision He causes growth. He brings the clouds. He feeds the animals. He creates and cultivates ecosystems within nature. He is actively engaged in all of creation every day from eternity past to forever. He is not a passive standby clockmaker. He is living and active in all of creation. If God were to be absent, life would cease immediately, not eventually, Oh, things are kind of getting hard. No, it's unplugged. It's done. Verse 15 says, He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He's in the changing of seasons. So the one with this power 
He's going to walk with us on new ground. As much as we need to examine and discern the depths of our sin, I think an equal, if not more important practice for us as believers is to wonder again, to dream again, to imagine and hope again like we did when we were first awakened to the reality of redemption. It says in Isaiah 11 that that wolves and lambs are going to lay down next to each other, that calves and lions are going to nap together. Guys, we're probably probably going to be able to pet cheetahs and like cuddle otters. The point is that we need to spark that gospel imagination again that, that says, that looks at God and his character and says, I don't understand this brokenness, but I know he's good. And if I can lean on that, I know that creation's gonna blow our minds when we get there. Verse four says, he determines the number of the stars. He gives all of them their names And that should remind us what Jesus says in Luke 12. He says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. The God who holds the stars, who activates the wind, has placed value on you, Christian. This is the hope of Advent. This is our hope of glory. He says in John 14 that he's gone to prepare a place for us. Our hope of glory is better than we can imagine. He's a good God who made things beautiful. He gave us music and poetry, rest and pleasure, sex, color. He put seasons into creation. The trees change color. I'm sure some very smart scientists could be like, well, it's an adaptation to keep bugs away. Man, I think it's just beautiful. Because our happy creator God, who gives songs to birds, and he, he says in Psalm 104, he built an ocean for sea monsters to play in. This is our happy, joyful God. He's going to walk with us. Our hope of glory is greater than we can imagine. So not only in all of creation, everything's going to be new, everything's going to be perfected, but our second point this morning Everything's sad, untrue. In the context of our verse, uh, verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Those personal ramifications of the curse, your suffering that you've experienced, the, the diagnosis of terminal illness that you've received, the, the loss that you've experienced, global injustices, everything touched by the curse of sin that brings sorrow will be made right. Suffering is the great equalizer, right? For all of humanity, it is the one thing that does not pick favorites. It doesn't skip over you if you are wealthy. Some form of despair, some form of chaos, some strain of the curse will inch its way into your life, into everyone's life. You might be listening and thinking, I've had it pretty posh pretty so far. Man, coming soon to a theater near you is all I can say. Jesus said in the gospel according to Matthew that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But again, Advent sparks defiant joy in the heart of God's children. It's a defiance that moves us from the question as we grow in Christ Our our where is God turns into what if God were not there? 
I really want to be sensitive in saying this. I don't understand his ways. There's tremendous mystery in his will. I'll never forget when I found out that my mom was terminally ill. And my, my brother Bobby said, God loves your mom more than you ever could. Any other amounts of trials or suffering that I've been through, that has been a, a truth that has pivoted my life drastically. What if he wasn't there? There's mystery to his will. I don't understand why some things happen and why some things don't. But brother, sister, if you can hear my heart, and believe me when I say this, I've experienced it, many others have too. If we can defy despair, if we can look at that with defiant joy and look to God instead of the circumstance and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Give me eyes to see. Lord, would you, would you give me eyes to see your goodness? Because I don't see it. We will see the happy creator God. He loves to answer that prayer. He's done it many times in my own life and others God is proactively working towards redemption. He is not asleep. And so we stand in defiance of the curse of sin because Christ made a way for us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And, and not only does our suffering, now as believers, our suffering has deep and profound meaning and purpose. I'm going to just have a few verses on the screen that just touch on the subject. There's so much there. In Corinthians, it talks about how we are meant to comfort others, and, and then in that, they, they find the God of all comfort. It also talks about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. We're imitating Jesus when we lean on God, when we depend on him. And then in 1 Peter, we have this assurance of faith. So, so not only is there profound meaning, it's not meaningless anymore. It's not just random chaos or a, a horrible coincidence but our hope of glory is greater than we can imagine. Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And he didn't write these things to minimize your suffering or his suffering. No, because the gospel is better than that. God doesn't need to minimize your pain or say it wasn't that bad. It's going to be great one day, so just get over it. That's not what this is. The truth is, is that glory, it will be that much better. Think about how hopeful that is. Paul was very familiar with suffering. And oh, how painful are the things that we've gone through. But Paul says it's not a balancing act. The glory, it, it's not even in the same category. We can't imagine it. It's not tipping the scales back in that favor. This is the great undoing. This is the glorious reversal. This is redemption. C.S. Lewis, just one, uh, he imagines it this way in his book, The Great Divorce. It's a, it's a fictional work, so don't go grab it and like, try to get your theology out of it. It's, it's, a, it's a fiction. But I love this part of this conversation. One character says to another, that is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Later on in the same chapter, he says, 
And what about the saved? He says, ah, the saved, what happens to them is best described as the opposite of a mirage. What seemed when they entered it to be a veil of misery turns out when they look back to have been a well. And where present experience saw only salt deserts, memory truthfully records that the pools were full of water. He's going to redeem every ounce of suffering, dear Christian. Everything sad, untrue. If you can imagine, well, what about this hardship? What about that loss? It will be rectified. Every injustice undone. Look at verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. This is the hope of Advent. This is defiant joy that understands correctly wherever there has been peace, wherever there has been provision, it's because of the presence of God and his goodness. Every war will cease, every corrupt government brought to an end, no more hunger. These are all included as part of this future hope. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, those things like, why do we need to bring God into that? Can't we just be good people? You know, whether conservative or liberal or wherever you land in that realm, our society has sought more and more individual freedoms as the path forward to betterment. Why can't I just have my freedom? You have yours, and we'll be happy in our little castles. Can I just be honest and say, like, we know that that's not working? If we're honest... In the past three or four years especially, we have seen personal freedom expand tremendously. Individualism risen, isolation forced upon us. It's not working. Mental health got worse, not better, when we were left to our own devices. The truth is, again, that that God created us to be with him. But our sin set forth a curse over existence. It's put a chasm between us and him. So as Mark Sayers put it, he says, we are drowning in freedoms, but thirsting for meaning. The point is this, whether you're a Christian or not, we can both agree that the world is not okay. But friend, if I had a plea, if I had a a thing to encourage you with, it's that God is not just looking to make things a little bit better. He wants to make it new. He wants shalom. He wants wholeness. He wants ultimate redemption and restoration. And as it's been said before, God doesn't want to rearrange your deck furniture. He came to renovate the whole house. That's the hope of glory. And we see it culminate in a person. We see it culminate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It leads us to our final point this morning, the ultimate promise fulfilled. It's been said that the story of redemptive history can be summed up as, I loved you, you left me, and I'm coming to get you back. In verse 15, it says, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. This, this poetic language here in the, in the context of our psalm, it's interchanged in the Old Testament for the word promise. The definition says command and promise, like together. And so In the context of our psalm, it means that when he speaks, it happens. He is proactive, and and with his power, there is no delay. His word runs swiftly. 
Friends, there's another place where Scripture speaks about the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Our God longs to be with you. Did you know that He delights in you? The sovereign God, the one who knows you better than you know yourself, the one who not only does he know like a little bit about your intentions, but no, he has seen the utter depth of your sin. This God loves and delights in you. Verse 10 says, his delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. So in other words, the person who is not coming to impress, who has just opened an empty hands to receive grace from heaven. The person who has said, I don't have anything to contribute but my sin and shame. That's what I'm bringing to surrender. I'm leaning completely on what Jesus has done. And I'm only here, if I have any boldness, it's because I know that he put his righteousness on me. I'm on his ticket. That person is what the Bible calls a child of God. And he delights in you. He is for you. It's not in your strength or your ability or your most impressive moment, but the weakness and dependency that would cause you to lean into him. This is our hope. We can hope in a future glory with no more desolate places because Christ went to the most desolate place. This was the advent then. The long-expected Jesus came to a weary world, sending a thrill of hope throughout. God become man Born in a dingy, lowly manger, he grew up and walked the earth and lived a perfect life doing what we could never do. He experienced friendship, suffering, loss. Guys, he experienced humanity. And for the joy set before him, he experienced utter desolation as he hung on the humiliating cross and felt separation from God on our behalf. Our sins did that. He took our place. But he conquered death. He holds the keys. He came back. And this is everything, you guys. The resurrection and ascension of Christ is the ultimate stamp of assurance for our hope of glory. None of this would matter if it weren't for Jesus. If it assures us that every time we have ever said, why, God, every ounce of suffering, every molecule in existence that have been plagued by the curse, it will be redeemed. Christ is our hope of glory, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, it says in Revelation 21.4, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Can you imagine it? What if we hoped again? What if we stopped accepting the status quo, humdrum Christian life and dared to be hopeful, joyful Christians who actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he has gone to prepare a better place for us? He is our Advent hope. That's why our hope of glory is greater than we can imagine. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and he will be coming back to bring us to himself. No more desolate places cancer undone, death undone, sickness undone, pain undone, losses restored, bodies perfected, separate from God, no more, sin undone, life unending with Jesus, our hope of glory is greater than we can imagine. 
in closing <laughs> this morning, I want to give you something to carry into the week. I have some questions for application. We can go ahead and throw those on the screen. So if you're a note taker, you can jot those down or take a picture with your phone. I just want to say that as we consider how this applies to us, first, I want to point out that our passage in this role, our, our role in this passage, rather, I'll mix those words up, we, we're given a couple commands throughout our passage, and they're both just singing and praising. To praise the Lord for who he is and all he has done. And so I would pray, as your deacon of music here, that we as a church family would continue to grow in our expression of worship, that we would be a church that sings loud and joyfully and, and almost obnoxiously, that we would give up being dignified or cool or, I don't even know, or relevant and together get lost inside melodies as if, as if we really believe the stuff that we're singing. And I said this earlier, but the ultimate desire is to just stir hope and excitement into our hearts again. Because when we're excited about something, it's our natural inclination to tell other people about it. Like anything in our life. It's been said that you talk about what you love. And in this Advent season, there are so many longing for hope. And guys, we have the truth. Maybe you're here today, and you've never felt this. You've never believed this. Maybe you've called yourself Christian, and it's been just kind of an add-on to your identity because you know it's what you're supposed to do. tired? Are you weary of the show? If that's you today, I just want to invite you to meet Jesus. It's not a call to get your act together. No, we already saw that. It's a call to just say, I believe that he's good, and I don't understand everything, but I want to know his son. I want to follow Jesus. There's going to be some of us in the back, and I just encourage you to come back and, and talk with us, and, and let's pray together. I'll read these questions out loud, and then I'll pray and wrap up. First, in, in what ways have I minimized my sin? In turn, do I have too small of a view of redemption? Do I not confess things because I think I'm too far gone? In what ways do I need, to, do I need God to reignite my gospel imagination? Thirdly, do, do I sing praises to God with thanksgiving? And lastly, if, if I really hope in this, do I share it with others? Who do I know that needs to hear about the hope of glory that I have because of Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I, I thank you for... Uh, In light of circumstances, God, just enabling me to focus. This is the most focus I've felt all week, Lord. So I give, I give you glory for that. I've been so scatterbrained this week. And so if there was any coherence in that message, God, it's 100% on you. God, I'm familiar with some of the weariness and some of the suffering that exists in this room. 
God, I know that our... I know that our two paths that we often choose is either to ignore it or to just grow cold and bitter and angry. So Lord, I just ask that you would soften our hearts. And as is your way, God, that you would gently bring us to you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for a hope beyond our imagination. Be with us as we continue to sing and worship God. Enable us by your spirit towards genuine worship. Ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.